and welcome Hoosier fans to another episode of Doing the Work, the first show on the Back Home Network covering IU women's basketball. This is our 77th episode recorded on Wednesday, October the 11th. I'm your host, Jeff Marlowe, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kathy Amos. And tonight we were joined by our special guest, Kyle Huseman. Kyle is from the Hawkeye Report, and he's going to help us go over two of the top teams in the Big Ten this year, Iowa and Ohio State. But as usual, we'll start this show with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Kathy, I, I really was kind of a, a struggling for a banner moment, so I'll even give you a chance maybe to see if you have one better mind. But I'm going to go to uh, back over to Spain and on over the weekend, Grace Berger doing Grace Berger things as an IU alum with a game winner in her for her Spanish league team over in Spain. Uh, so that's going to be my banner moment for tonight. You got anything better? No, I have, it's been a, it's been a slowish week, which is probably good for, for, uh, for us right now. So yeah, I, I think that's probably the, at least the, the newest thing that's come out since then, other than maybe media days, but I don't know that I'd call that a banner moment. It just is what it is. <laughs> so and our banner moment is brought to you by home field apparel presenting sponsor of the back home network, which includes assembly call and crimson cast along with us. Homefield is constantly releasing new schools or updating their products for schools in their existing line. You are bound to find something for you or anyone in your life that just loves great collegiate gear. They are constantly releasing new merchandise. Not only do you get quality apparel, but you are supporting an Indiana-based business that has its roots in the Kelly School of Business. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME23. That's new now, HOME23, to get 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code home 23 for 15%. Off. And and we they print this out on a somebody called Kathy last week. So a little trick here. If you've ordered something from home field, try a different email. And, yes. and you might be able to still get the 15% off on your order. And they and, and the guys at home field seem to be okay with that. So once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. And so some news headlines as well from around the Hoosier land this week. Coach Terry Moore, as, as, as Kathy mentioned, along with Mackenzie Holmes and Chloe Morton McNeil, traveled to Minneapolis Monday for Big Ten Media Day. Uh, also just saw this one the other day. The NCAA has make, made changes to the transfer portal. Now athletes will have 45 days to enter the portal following Selection Sunday. They can still take longer to make their choice about where they want to end up, but they, the, the time starts now after selection Sunday. And I got to thinking about that. I wonder if that would be you know, the women's seems to always be selection Monday. So will it be, you know, for them will be a day later, but I'm not sure that makes a huge sense. Also, I for think those they of you to Sunday last year or two years ago, Jeff, they do a back to back. I, yeah. I still think it was Monday. Okay. Yep. Uh, also, again, we're not trying to bring politics into the podcast ring, but we do want to send our, our thoughts and stuff with to Yarden Garzan and her family in Israel. I'm sure it's quite, un, you know, quite the, the stress maker right now for Yarden to be going through practice and school and trying to having to worry about what's going on halfway around the world. Uh, Coach Morin reported at Meet Big Ten Media Day that Sharnice Curry-Jelks is dealing with a hamstring injury that is limited to practice time. And then just today, IU announced the addition of a game on December 3rd versus Stetson, the Hatters, at home. Game time <laughs> is 2 o'clock Eastern, 1 Central, and that game will be on BTN+. Plus. So now it gives me the opportunity to welcome in our guest, Kyle Huseman. Kyle, back for the second time. He, he joined me last year for a, a broadcast podcast that uh, Kathy wasn't able to be here for. But Kyle, welcome back to Doing the Work. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's, it's uh, good to be back. Last year we had a good conversation about 
not only Iowa, but Big Ten women's basketball in general. And we're back again. The season starts here uh, under a month now until the season starts. And, yeah. and Kyle, go ahead, Kevin. I was just going to say, I guess for you guys, actually, for Iowa, you'll start this Sunday with a huge exhibition that uh, against DePaul. So that'll be for those of you who maybe haven't heard, if you um, follow Indiana women's basketball and ba- women's basketball in general, I'm sure you have heard, but that's the game that's going to be played in Kinnick Stadium. So I'm assuming um, we were talking about the weather forecast before we went live here. So for us in Iowa here in the middle of the state, I think it looks like it'll the weather should hold out. And so that should be a nice record-breaking crowd for you guys to, to get that season started, even if it's an exhibition game. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's going to be – I'm actually really excited to just see it uh, for I mean, obviously, for a couple of reasons to just see, you know, potentially 50,000 people in Connect Stadium if the weather holds um, and then just to see the team play, you know, DePaul, a Division One team. You know, they have their their exhibition on October 22nd against Clark University, but to see them play a Division One team, DePaul, these are the normal closed scrimmages. But, you know, they get this out there. They're giving all the money to the children's hospital. And we get to as media members and, and fans get to kind of see that that extra game that you normally wouldn't get to see, which is which is the other exciting part of it. Yeah, it's very cool. And Kyle, can I give you a chance here? Um, we talked a little bit about a couple of the comments Coach Morton made at Media Day, especially the one where kind of the, the – because the, and the IU program is pretty, pretty – uh, I hate to use the word secretive, but they're pretty hush-hush about the injuries and anything like that. It's almost like an NHL hockey – you know, an NHL injury report, upper body, lower body, or, you know, you know just we'll evaluate, let you never really find out. So was there anything that Lisa Bluter had to say at Media Day that caught your attention? Oh, in terms of injuries, no. Uh, the only thing that really stood out was Kylie Fearbach is is back to 100% now. She, she's practicing. She's getting ready for the season as normal. Uh, she tore ACL last year and missed the entire season, mm-hmm. so that was good. Um, but in terms of, of everything overall, um, I, I can also go back to we had our, our team, you know, the team media day at Carver Hawkeye Arena last week, and, you know, not a lot stood out to me, just kind of your normal stuff, stuff that we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, the big thing that if there was one thing that stood out, um, you know, it's going to be about Caitlin Clark and her potential decision to take a fifth year uh, or go to the WNBA for next season. It sounds like she's going to, at least, at least what I got from her is that she's looking to push that probably towards the end of the season. Um, didn't really sound like she had, was leaning either way. Um, kind of just said it's, you know, whenever it comes to her, it's going to be, you know, the decision is just going to be a gut decision. And whenever she comes to that decision, she's going to let everyone know. Um, but for me, you know, I feel like that decision isn't going to come in the middle of the Big Ten season or the middle of non-conference. It's not going to be something that happens during the season. Um, and, you know, with the, the kickoff at Kennett or the crossover at Kennett coming up and then an exhibition game, you know, just after that, it feels like if she wanted to do it, Team Media Day was probably going to be the time to do it. Um, now you're getting into, the, you know, exhibitions and season. I think this is going to be a decision that's going to come after after the NCAA tournament, whenever they whenever their season wraps up. And then she'll get the, I believe it's something like 72 hours after the the final four. Uh, is when she has to make a decision. I think that's that's about when it's going to come. Yeah, we yeah. talked a little bit about this last year on the podcast, Kyle. And I'm not trying for you to necessarily bring up any numbers or anything, but but just it just kind of oh shows you how NIL, especially in the women's game, NIL has maybe changed some of the decisions these young women are going to be able to make. Yeah, I think the thing that I've discussed with other people is I feel like you know most of Caitlin Clark's NIL deals will roll over to the WNBA. Um, so I know a lot of people are arguing, you know, she's making a lot of money in college. She should stay another year. But, I mean, some of her deals, she just signed on State Farm. She has a I Nike deal, her, her high V deal. Uh, I think those will roll over into the WNBA. I don't see those changing. Um, so, I mean, there may be a couple that, that, that don't stay, but the big ones, the Nike, the new one, the State Farm. 
Um, and, and then obviously the high B one, those are going to roll over into the WNBA and then she'll just be adding in a WNBA salary. Um, that's not me saying that she's going to leave because I don't truly know the answer right now, but you know, that argument of, you know, she's making more money in college. I think that money is going to continue on when she goes to the WNBA. Good point. Yeah. That's, that's the interesting cow. Cause I was just having that conversation literally last night with my husband and I said the same thing. Cause he's like, Oh yeah. Did you see the, the state farm deal? I said, well, um, I didn't see an amount or anything, but I was assuming just like what you said, just because if she plays college next year or she's in the, the pros, those still carry over. So um, that's kind of our speculation. And um, for our IU fans, breaking news um, for those of you listening live. And if you're listening later, hopefully you've heard this. Indiana just beat Purdue in uh, volleyball for the first time in 11 years. So Purdue is ranked 15th. And uh, so this is a really huge win again for our, our volleyball team. So I know we're a basketball co- podcast, but many of us are a, a lot of all IU sports. So I just wanted to throw that in there too. <laughs> all right, Jeff, back to you. Yeah, <laughs> With our breaking news home, moment. So. so Kathy, you got anything you want to ask Kyle before we dive yeah, into the Iowa win? Yeah. You got anything you want to ask? No, Kyle? nothing to ask Kyle. Um, I did want to just touch real quick on your other, your head, your headlines. I did also want to just echo your your sentiments going out to Yarden Garzon. Um, for for those of you who hopefully remember, Yarden is from Israel. She came to us last year as a freshman, so um, I'm sure that's very stressful for for everyone involved. And so hopefully everyone and her family is is safe over there. So just wanted to throw my my thoughts out there for her as well as. Okay, so but let's no, dive into no the Yeah. Okay. So, so let's dive into the Iowa women here. Preseason in the Big Ten preseason poll, they were picked first in the coaches and by the media to finish to, to, win, the, to win the league. Uh, going back to last year, they were the national runner-up, losing the title game to LSU. They were the Big Ten tournament champs. Uh, they come into this season with an ESPN way too early ranking of number six. Three starters coming back, and they do lose two of their top three scores from last year. And so I think that's something we'll t- – probably try to dig in with Kyle here a little bit, but obviously the one player everybody's going to know, and that we've mentioned already is Caitlin Clark, the preseason, preseason player of the year in the big 10, more than likely, I would assume the preseason player of the year nationally as well. But um, Kyle just kind of get in to talk a little bit about Caitlin Clark. And there's there's all the superlatives you can use, but when you watch her play, is there, are there any like subtle things that you notice game to game that maybe some people that don't get to see her play every night? No, don't see. Um, Man, that's a tough question. The, the subtle things. I mean, I think the thing that stands out to me, and and I, I wouldn't say that that not. Is there anything the subtle don't... about Caitlin Clark? I mean, no, I don't know I, if there's anything subtle about Caitlin. Yeah. No, I don't. I agree with that. The thing that stands out to me, and and people always talk about, you know, she scores a lot of points. I think the word gets thrown around that she's a ball hog at times, you know, and I don't. I don't think that's the case at all because she le- she leads the country in assists as well. Um, the thing that stands out to me, not only about leading the country in assists, is some of the passes that she can make. Whether it's you know, on in an offensive set, finding a, usually it was to Monica Sonano for an easy basket, but in transition to find you know she found a lot of connections with the freshman Hannah Stolke last year in transition. Um, but when you're at the game and you're you know you're sitting at the media level, you can sometimes see the angles of some of the passes that you can't necessarily see on TV, and that's what stands out to me is her ability to to decide you know i can fit this pass in there and sometimes you know there's somewhere i'm like what are you doing here and it it just finds someone um so her her court vision 
Um, it's something that I'm sure a lot of people have noticed and, and ha- think is really good about her. But to me, that's kind of the thing that, that sometimes gets lost in all the, you know, the logo three pointers and the score and, you know, 40 points in the final four is her ability to pass and, and hit small windows. Yeah. So you, you mentioned um, Monica Sanano. So uh, Monica um, exhausted all of her her eligibility but in addition McKenna Warnock was the other starter that's leaving uh she did have another year she decided to forego to go on to dental school uh between the two of them they averaged 27 and 29 minutes respectively Monica averaged around 17 points per game and McKenna just under 11 so I think for for me and uh, Jeff probably echo the same thing you and I have talked about. That's that's the biggest question for me with Iowa is who's going to replace that kind of production. That's a lot of production between two of your starters. So the name I keep hearing a lot thrown around is, of course, Hannah Stolke. So she was a freshman last year, um, Big 12, or excuse me, Big Big 12. I don't know where that came from. Big 10, sixth player of the year. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you think Hannah can jump in and take up some of the slack um, that um, the gap that will be lost with Monica and um, McKenna? Yeah, I think that's certainly the, the thought process for the coaching staff, the fans ba- fan base, and, and that the media has. Uh, first off, yeah, the, the losses of Monica and McKenna are, are huge losses. I mean, um, there's not many players in the country that, I mean, you guys you guys have one in Mackenzie Holmes uh, that can also shoot at a really high clip from really close to the basket. I mean, 70% is is pretty impressive to be in the top five. I think it was top five, four years in a row in, in field goal percentage. Um, that's pretty unheard of. Uh, so, so to lose her is obviously a, a big loss. And then what McKenna Warnock brought from, you know, inside presence on defense and on offense, and then from the perimeter to be able to, to take and, and knock down three pointers. Those are two really big losses, um, you know, played for a really long time at Iowa and obviously had, had accolades to go along with that. Um, so I don't want to downplay those losses. I do feel like, you know, Iowa has the pieces to, to, to fill that this year. And you mentioned Hannah Stolke, um, Big Ten Sixth Player of the Year last year as a, as a true freshman. Um, last year, the thing that stood out to me is she's a really athletic player for, for a true freshman uh, coming right out of high school to, to step in and show the athleticism that she did to rebound both offensively and defensively. Um, I haven't seen a lot of players be able to run and transition the way she does. Uh, you know, if she's not the one grabbing the rebound, if it's someone else, she's just putting her head down and running to the other end and, you know, Caitlin can find her a lot of times in transition because she just beats the other team down the floor. Um, you know, but as a freshman last year, she had some of those those issues that you see with with freshmen, you know, foul trouble at times. Or she'd come in sometimes in, in you know, a five-minute span. She's already picked up a couple of fouls, and she's got to sit down again. Um, her free throw shooting was was not great. I believe it was right around 50%. Um, and then she this offseason, she's really worked on, you know, trying to get that shot better from the perimeter, trying to be able to be a player that can – you know, not necessarily shoot at McKenna Warnock's level, which was right around 40%, but, you know, enough that people have to guard her out there. Um, you know, so I think she takes, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of really good freshmen take big jumps going to their sophomore year. Your freshman year is, you know, really about um, just trying to get worked into the college game, figuring out what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Um, there, I know the coaching staff is really expecting a big jump from her, and I expect the same. Um, I've heard I've heard a lot of good things about, you know, that her free throw shooting is is improving. Um, that she's really worked on her shot from the perimeter and, and that it's getting a lot better. Um, so I think the hope is that that she can become, you know, a player that that can fill the fill the points that were lost from McKenna Warnock. Um, so I, I, I'm personally really excited to see her this year, see the jump that she makes as a sophomore. And I know the fan base is too. You know, she's just from up the road in Cedar Rapids, so she's kind of a fan favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up a Hawkeye fan, so um, – I think she's going to be one, definitely one to watch this year. And then you mentioned Monica Sano, her replacement. 
uh, Addy O'Grady. Uh, didn't get a ton of minutes in their first two years, just kind of here and there. Um, when you have someone like Monica Sonano, it's, it's hard to get a lot of minutes. Um, she did get playing time towards the end of the year in the NCAA tournament, uh, in the Final Four specifically. Uh, did a really solid job as a, as a backup center in the, in the national championship game against LSU. And from what I've spoke with her, she said that was really kind of a confidence booster, you know, to not play a lot the whole year. And even in the middle of the year, there were games where she wasn't playing at all. Um, but she said to go out there in the Final Four in the national championship against LSU and, and you know, rack up four or five rebounds, a couple of blocks on that big of a stage, to her was just a big confidence boost going into the offseason. Uh, I know the coaching staff has really talked about, you know, where she's improved this offseason. Um but they still said there's not a huge gap between the ones behind her, which is, you know, AJ Ediger and, and Sharon Goodman, who's coming back from an ACL uh, surgery as well. Um, so, you know, I think the big thing for Iowa in the starting lineup is if Hannah Stolke can step in and, and be someone that scores double digit points, they're going to, that would be really helpful. And then the post, you don't need Addie O'Grady to be Monica Sonano. And the coaching staff's talked about that a lot. And Addie said the same thing that when Monica left Iowa, her message to Addie was, you don't have to be me. When I mean, Monica Snow came into the program right after Megan Gustafson, um, who was a national player of the year, and Megan told Monica, you don't have to be me. You just have to be yourself. And that's what Monica told Addie, and, and the coaching staff is instilling that in Addie, that she just needs to be herself because she's already a good player. Um, so I'm really ex- excited to see her, uh, you know, in this exhibition on Sunday against DePaul and then their exhibition against Clark University, just to see – where both her and Hannah Stolke are in terms of, of big jumps. But those are probably going to be your two players that come into the starting lineup this year. And I want to go back to a player you mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, Kyle, and, and one that at least on paper that intrigues me just because having played in the Big 12 before she transferred to Iowa and got injured last year, and that's Kylie Firebach. I hope I'm saying it right. Um, just tell us a little bit about her. And if she is healthy, full go, ready to go, what can she bring to this team? Yeah, she's she's a part of a really interesting group of guards that are going to be coming off the bench this year. Um, she did. She came from Iowa State after her freshman year. Uh, she played as a sophomore at Iowa um, now two years ago. Um, was a player that came off the bench, played minutes. Is, is a is a decent defender. Uh, you know, she's going to pressure you a bit. She can get some steals, and then offensively, she she shows the ability to drive to the hoop at times. Um, shoots from outside a, a decent uh, pay or decent clip, I should say. Um, but, you know, as a sophomore, still trying to improve on some things. And then she missed all of last season. I know the coaching staff last year had said that she was practicing really well. Um, and it was tough to see her go down with the ACL injury. But, it, you know, at this point, it's all about, you know, how do you come back from that? It, it sounds like she's been practicing pretty well. Like I said, she's back to 100%. Um, it'll be interesting to see where her role takes this year because, like I said, this is a pretty crowded guard room. I mean, you talk about Caitlin Clark at the point guard position. And then you have Gabby Marshall and, and, and Kate Martin who are, who are back. And they're starting their fourth year as a starter. Um, so you're starting three are pretty set and they're going to play a lot of minutes. Um, and then, you know, off the bench, you've got players that played last year. She was out. So people had to, to fill that role. Uh, Molly Davis came up from central Michigan and played. Um, Sydney Fulter is another one that's going to get minutes. And then Taylor McCabe was a freshman last year. I think a lot of people are hoping that she gets a bigger role this year. Um, so along with those, those three, along with Kylie are, are going to be really kind of fighting for minutes this year. Um, and that's kind of the, the biggest question I have outside of, you know, the, the Hannah Stolke and Addie O'Grady is, you know, how does this guard lineup out, off the bench, you know, come together? Because Sydney Fulton had a really good trip to Europe. The three games that they played rebounded really well, showed the ability to score more than she has in her career so far. I've heard a lot about Molly Davis becoming comf- more comfortable as a scorer. You know, now that this is her second year with the team, I mean, moving from Central Michigan to the Big Ten is a big jump. Uh, so it's not surprising to hear that she's taking a step forward. Uh, and then obviously Taylor McCabe's ability to shoot from three point line 
Uh, I believe she she has the Nebraska record for girls basketball for three pointers in a career. Um, so that's hard to keep on the bench as well. And then you add in Kylie. Um, it sounds like they've got a lot of pieces to use off the bench at guard. It'll be interesting to see how they use them. Do they try to play a smaller lineup to get more of them on the on the floor at times? Um, but to me, that's the that's the question that I have is how do you how do you balance trying to get all four of those players on the floor? Um, so to answer your question, I really don't know what her her role is going to be at this point because you know she came off the ACL tear, um, didn't really have a role with the team last year, obviously because she didn't play in the game. So she's got to kind of carve out a new role again um, coming back from that injury. So, so um, you mentioned um, Addison O'Grady and that she's probably going to fill that at least the starting position, not necessarily the exact same role that Monica uh, left. So from a backup perspective, though, who do you think would take that, you know, five position kind of backup coming in off the bench for Addison? And who, who do you think that will be? Yeah, it's actually a really interesting question um, because they do have A.J. Ediger. They do have Sharon Goodman. Sharon Goodman was actually the backup for Monica uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, before that ACL injury last year, she was still, she kind of had a slow first year back from the ACL injury. She wasn't out last season, but, but, you know, was still kind of working back. I know she wore a knee brace for most of the season, which kind of hindered her a bit. Um, and then AJ Ediger is a, a junior this year, but actually the coaching staff feels pretty comfortable with playing Hannah Stolke at the five. Uh, I don't know that's necessarily their first option. That's why they, they really wanted Addie O'Grady to get to the point where they feel like they can start her. Um, but Hannah Stolke got time at the five last mm-hmm. year. Uh, and if you run her at the five, you have the ability to run a pretty small lineup um, with her at the five. And if you have Hannah Stolke playing at post, you're going to have a really fast lineup on the floor. Um, not many teams are going to be able to defend that with their speed that they would have. Um, the question with that type of lineup would be, can they defend well enough against maybe a taller lineup? Can they rebound? Um, so I, I, I'm interested to see if AJ Ediger and Sharon Goodman have taken a step forward to be able to be a, a backup five. Uh, Sharon Goodman did a pretty solid job a couple of years ago, but that's a couple of years removed from having that role. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if she can get back to that spot. Um, but you know, my thought right now is that Hannah Stilke would probably be, you know, the one that could slide into that spot, uh, for the majority of the minutes. And then it would be Sharon Goodman or AJ Ediger that could come in and get a few minutes there uh, as well. But I'll be interested to see, again, this is another thing that I'll look at on Sunday, just kind of, you know, what are they getting from those two? Um, can either of them, you know, move into that role to get some minutes at the five. Yeah, they're definitely very guard heavy. I just pulled up the roster again here. And what do I count? Around 10 guards? Does that sound about right? And then just a few forwards and two centers sprinkled in. So, yeah, definitely it seems like the a definitely guard heavy type of team. Yeah, Jeff? they're really deep. They're really deep yeah. at that spot. And I think that's, that's important to have that kind of flexibility, especially when you talk about going to maybe a smaller lineup at times. You like to be able to slide in an extra guard in there. Um, and you know, if you have that, we were, I was just talking about how are you going to spread the minutes around, you know, you just, you don't necessarily want to be a player that's going to find the short end of that. Um, but if you're the coaching staff and you're talking about, oh, we're running out of minutes and we feel like, you know, so-and-so deserves minutes, but they're not getting, getting that much. You know, that's when you start talking about, Hey, if, 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 you know, if something happens where someone goes down with an injury, we feel pretty comfortable, but yeah, that, that guard group is really, really deep off the bench. And I talked about the starters, you know, they're not coming off the floor a lot. So it's a really, really deep group. Um, I'm really excited to see what they can do this year. Yeah, I want to come back to it, but I, I'm really intrigued that idea of the smaller lineup because I really think with your lineup, with your roster, the way it's kind of built, uh, that would be kind of the way I would go. But again, the big concern there, especially for when you go up against a team like IU, 
can she mm-hmm. battle a Mackenzie Holmes and we're, you know, on the glass and maybe a couple of the other the, uh, with that. But yeah, I, I, I would be really intrigued by them going to a little bit smaller lineup and playing Stolke at the five, um, which was, I kind of maybe thought, which was, I'm glad we had you on Kyle. I thought maybe Hannah yep. would be sliding into that five spot anyway. So glad you came on to clear that up. I, I want to kind of go back real quick though, just, and again, I'm not trying to sound cliche type questions here. I just not sure I want how I phrase it, but, Gabby Marshall and and Kate Martin. I mean, to me, they're unsung heroes. I mean, I, obviously, Caitlin gets all the publicity for all the right reasons. I'm not trying to minimize any of that. But you need kids like Marshall and and Martin who can just bury shots and live off of what they get from Caitlin. They don't have to create their own stuff. So just maybe talk a little bit about Gabby Marshall and Kate and Kate Martin for us. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually glad you brought them up because it's funny. You know, this season, all the questions are about, you know, Hannah Stolke and Addie O'Grady, how do you replace some Warnock and Sonato and then, you know, stuff off the bench. The funny part is that, you know, Gabby Marshall and Kate, and obviously Kate, Caitlin Clark gets a lot of the talk as well. The funny part is Gabby Marshall and Kate Martin, you know, they're returning for their fourth straight year in the starting lineup. There's not a lot of talk about them because you, you just kind of know what you're going to get from them. You know, yeah. you know they're going to put up good games every night and they're going to do their part, you know, putting their, their points, their rebounds, their assists up on the board. And you don't really, there's no real questions about what you're going to get from them, um, which is kind of why they just get filed away as we know what they're going to do. Well, let's ask the questions about what we don't know. Um, but yeah, those were both huge. They didn't, they didn't have to come back. You know, Kate Martin's come back for his, her sixth year. Uh, I think some people kind of wondered, was Gabby Marshall going to take her, her fifth year at another school grad transfer to another school? Um, but she's back for, for her fifth year. And those are two huge people to have back um, in terms of just experience. I mean, to have players starting for a fourth year in a row, um that's that's huge um Kate yeah. Martin obviously is just a leader of this team um you know the 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 term that gets thrown out is the glue of the team she's always going to give you you know the, the the few points a few rebounds a few assists um you know a few a few moments of leadership on the floor um I, I've heard that she's you know maybe even taking a jump over the offseason in terms of becoming a better shooter um and then Gabby Marshall obviously is already a fantastic shooter uh a really underrated defender um, Caitlin Clark loves to point that out that, that Gabby Marshall is, is a really good defender is always guarding the other team's best player. Um, and Gabby did a really good job during the NCAA tournament, specifically against Haley Van Lith in that, uh, elite eight game. Um, Haley had a good first half and, and I don't believe scored in the second half, even maybe even, maybe just a couple of points. Um, but Gabby, what you're going to get from Gabby is really good three point shooting. Um, the first half of the season last year, she struggled a bit. Um, and when they needed her down the stretch, Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament, she she was was hitting her shots. Um, and when she's hitting from the three point line, we're not talking about you know 35, 40 percent. When she's really going, it's 45, almost 50 percent at times. Um, so obviously, two huge pieces to have back in terms of experience, in terms of you know being able to score points. Um, Kate Martin's another player that can shoot it from three well. Um, I, I've heard she's getting a little bit more consistent, you know, last year at times it was, it was either it was going in or it wasn't going in. So if she can kind of iron that out and be a consistent shooter, that's even and bigger to add into, you know, what she already does in terms of giving a little bit of everything. Um, but yeah, just two huge players to have back, especially when you're talking about losing McKenna Warnock and Monica Sonata, just to have, you know, her, those two, and then Caitlin Clark to, to kind of lead this team, especially early in the season when there's going to be some bumps in the road, uh, when you're breaking in a new lineup, breaking up in some new players. Um, so, so I think, I think those, I'm, I mean, honestly, I'm just really glad that you brought them up because there hasn't been a lot of talk about them. And like I said, it's just because you know what you're going to get from them. So, um, just two really big pieces of this team. 
Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought them up, Jeff, because that's who I was going to bring up next myself. Yes, I, I actually wondered when I was, you know, really taking a deeper dive into the roster preparing for tonight, if maybe their production goes up as well to kind of, again, help, you know, fill that those gaps that you'll be losing with um, Sonano and with Warnock, you know, and to your, to your point with the consistency, um, you know, if you look at their points per game, um, Gabby Marshall, the last three years, she averaged right at, you know, nine, seven and six. And so um, definitely very consistent. The same thing from Kate Martin. She was very consistent in around seven points per game in each of her last three years. And so in terms of consistency, it's there. It hasn't been a lot of double digit scoring, but to your point, they both can, they can do it when needed. And so I wonder if that's going to be maybe a little more needed from them this year to, you know, we, we talked about that on our side about who's going to fill in for grace and we don't think it's going to be one person, right? It's going to be more like a, a committee. And I think that we, at least that's what I wonder. Do you think that may be the same case for Iowa filling in for both Sonano and Warnock, that it's going to be not just one person. It's just really going to have to be a, you know, a committee of people jumping in, filling those minutes and the points in. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, actually, that, you know, and I mentioned earlier that Addie O'Grady doesn't have to be Monica Sonano and Hannah Stolke doesn't have to be McKenna Warnock. Um, obviously, they're going to have to score their points if they're going to be in the starting lineup. But obviously, like we mentioned at the beginning, I mean, Monica Sonano and McKenna Warnock combined for, for 28 points a game last year. That's a big chunk out of your team to lose, especially when I was scoring 87 points a game. Um, but, you know, Hannah Stilke scored 6.5 last year. I think she can be a double-digit scorer this mm-hmm. year. Um, and that would take a big chunk out of that 28 right away. You know, if Addie O'Grady, she doesn't have to be that 18-point, you know, 70% from the floor shooter. Um, but she, if she can be a 10 points a game and, you know, rebound well. And then you talk about, you know, whether it's Kate Martin adding a point or two to her average or, or Gabby Marshall, you know, that 6.2 points per game is low. Um, because she struggled early in the season from the three-point line. If she can have a consistent year from the three-point line, she's going to be an eight-point you know, eight, nine point per game. And, you know, when she hits, when she really hits it, she's going to be a double digit score as well. Um, you know, whether it's Molly Davis coming off the bench, like I said, she's, she's hoping to be a more comfortable score in her second year in the big time. Average four points a game last year. She can be, you know, six points the game. You know, you're going to fill that in together right away. And I know, and everybody wants to talk about, you know, can Addie O'Grady get that 18 points, but, it, but it's, you know, it's not as fun to talk about, oh, Molly Davis, if she can go from four to six, but but that's really how you do it. If that mm-hmm. happens, yep. you can easily you can easily fill that that void that you lost just by a couple of people adding a couple of points. All it is is another basket yeah. per game, and you can really fill that in quickly. So so like I said, it's, it's not two players filling that role, and like you said, right. it's going to be maybe a little bit of everybody hitting an extra shot a game, grabbing an extra couple of rebounds a game. Um, so so like you know like the team's been saying like Lisa Bluter's been saying this isn't going to be the exact same Iowa team as last year. They have a lot of the same pieces, um, but it's just going to be a little bit different way of getting to that 85, 88 points a game. But I absolutely think they can be that that you know high level of scoring team again. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kyle, I'm going to dive into the schedule here a little bit, and I want to ask you a question just to see if you know the answer. I don't. I mean, you may not. But it, looking at the non-conference schedule for Iowa. Notice they play Northern Iowa, they play Drake, they play Iowa State. Is there some type of policy that they have to play all basically all the D1 Iowa schools, or is that just traditional? Or it just seems like you know that I, I know that there are people in Indiana would love to see us play Notre Dame and Butler every year, especially on the men's side. But I, there's nothing here that says we have to. But I'm just curious that you know if there's something out there that requires them to play them. I don't believe there's anything that requires them. <laughs> I know on the men's side that's been a big, big. Uh, big thing about you know why does Iowa not play Drake and you and I in men's basketball and there's there's obviously ongoing arguments about that 
Um, I don't, I don't believe there's anything tied in about, you know, they have to do it. I think, like you said, it's just kind of a traditional thing. They always play them. Uh, you know, Lisa Bluter and, and Jenny Fitzgerald, obviously Lisa, the head coach and Jenny, one of the assistants, they coached at Drake. So did Jan Jensen, another assistant coach. They, they coached at Drake gotcha. um, for several years. So there's that connection there. Um, you and I, I don't believe there's a connection there right off the top of my head, but they, you know, it's just tradition to play them. Obviously Iowa, Iowa state's never going to be something that goes away. Um, but I don't think, I mean, Lisa Bluter always talks about that. Those are big games and the, the players talk about it too. Those are big games for both teams to, you know, that the bragging rights of saying we, you know, we swept Iowa state Drake and, and you and I, th- that's a big thing that this, this team talks about. They want to win those games. And Drake, Iowa last year was a fantastic game. One of the best games of the yeah, season at, yeah. at the nap center was overtime, an overtime right? game. Uh, yeah, overtime at the Nap Center. I was right at right courtside. That was a fantastic game. Um, so for me personally, those, those are fun games. You know, you might get upset once in a while because there's a little bit of extra, you know, fuel there for you and I or Drake to come in and, and try to win that game um, that maybe, you know, you don't want on the men's side at times. Um, but but it's fun. It's a fun game. Uh, and I, I think it's just a traditional thing. Okay. Yeah, so along that same line uh, in their non-conference, in addition to the three Iowa teams that Jeff already mentioned, um, the two ranked teams that they are playing are Virginia Tech, which is on a neutral site. Jeff, do you know exactly where that's at? Kyle can help us on that, but I want to, is that the one? Is that like in Vegas? No, it's in it. it's in Charlotte. Char- okay, the, uh, here we go. Charlotte, the, uh, yeah, Hornets, I believe. Okay, but it's yeah. like a there's four teams there. It's almost like a it's not like the champions classic on the men's side, but it seems like they're trying to get something similar, a little bit similar. I mean, it's Virginia tech, um, Iowa, but I can't remember what the other game is. I think, I think, game. I th- are you thinking of the, I think LSU and Colorado are playing in Las Vegas. Maybe that's I it. think that's a, you're thinking. I think it's like LSU, Colorado, and then Ohio state against someone maybe, maybe um, but it. Iowa, Virginia tech are the only two in Charlotte for that. Oh, game. Okay. 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 Yeah. So Virginia tech, is ranked number seven in there. Uh, have you kind of dove into that that matchup yet? Because on paper right now, at least if you go on by the rankings, and I'll be honest, I haven't looked a whole lot at Virginia Tech. Have you looked at that matchup, and how do you think the two teams kind of match up in that that uh, game? Yeah, it's actually going to be really interesting. It's the second game of the season for Iowa. Iowa opens with Fairleigh Dickinson at home, and then three days later, they're down there in Charlotte for that game. Um, it will be interesting for, for obviously a couple of reasons. You're talking about two teams that made the Final Four last year. Um, a really high profile matchup, obviously. So, you know, both teams in the top 10 will probably be in the top 10 next week when the AP poll comes out. Um, I mean, it's going to be big for Iowa in terms of, you know, a couple of different storylines. You know, Iowa trying to fill a couple of spots, players that were lost last year. It's an early test to, you know, measuring stick. You know, where is Iowa at in terms of, you know, do they have some growing to do uh, as the season goes on to be that team that they were last year? You know, if Iowa comes out and wins that game, it's going to be, hey, you know, they're already there. They're ready to go. They're ready to, to defend their you know spot in the final four. Um, but if they lose or lose even convincingly by, you know, 10 points or something, it's going to be, Hey, there's some work to do to, to get back to that level. Um, the matchup that, that is going to be really important is, you know, that Elizabeth Kitley's back for Virginia tech, all American center. She's going to be going up against Addie O'Grady right away in that second game. Um, so we're going to see Addie O'Grady right away, go up against a really good center, um, you know, see where she's at in terms of, of, that process of growing into that starting lineup role. Um, but Virginia Tech's in that top 10 for a reason. You know, they bring back Georgia Moore, who's their their guard that helped lead into the final four, uh, picked up a Matilda Eke, a player from the Big Ten. Michigan State, hmm. honorable mention, all Big Ten, um, was a good score for Michigan State. She's on the roster now. Um, picked up a forward from Minnesota, I believe. Uh, is it Rose Michaud? Maishu? Uh, all Big Ten honorable mention last year. So they've got a couple of Big Ten players that we've we've seen. 
Um, so they're going to be a really good team. Going to be a really interesting matchup for Iowa right out of the gate. Um, I think the thing that will be hard will be if Iowa were to lose that game, just trying to settle down people that are like, hey, we told you Iowa's not going to be as good. You know, you're talking the second game of the season. Um, so yeah. it's just going to be a really intriguing matchup for both teams. Both teams are going to figure out, you know, hey, where are we standing here? Um, you know, right at the beginning of the season, what do we need to improve on? Things like that. It, it's not going to give us an answer of how's the end of the season going to go. Um, but that's why you love these matchups. Not only to ha- see two top 10 teams go at it right away, but just to see where they're both at you know, mm-hmm. early in the year. Yeah, for sure. And then K-State's your other ranked matchup. Uh, and and uh, Kyle, I'll just give you a real quick, take a quick dive on what you think that matchup between K-State and Iowa. Yeah, that was uh, Iowa lost them last year in Manhattan, Kansas at, at the Bramlage mm-hmm. Coliseum. I was down there for that one. That was a pretty good game, you know, to be honest. Yeah, Kansas State's a really good team. Uh, flirted with making the NCAA tournament, made the WNIT. Uh, I believe they made the, the Sweet 16 round of that tournament uh, before they, they went out there. But they, they returned back four of their five starters. Gabby Gregory was an all Big Ten or all Big 12 player, excuse me. Um, they bring back the Glenn sisters, two good guards. Uh, the big piece for them is getting Ioka Lee back. And, you know, All American center, uh, Tori ACL missed all of last season. You know, they were able to make the WNIT without her on the team. Uh, now she's back. So, I mean, you know, four or five starters back, and you had her, and they're really returning an entire starting lineup. Um, they come to Carver this year. Obviously, Carver's sold out every game this year, so that'll be that'll be a really big home game uh, mm-hmm. against a team that I think – I mean, Kansas State's going to be a good team. I know you mentioned there. I think they're, you know, 24, 25 24. in the CSPN mm-hmm. rankings. They're going to be good. That's going to be a really good team this year. Uh, Lee is a very good score. And another matchup, you know, a week later after that Virginia Tech game, another big matchup for Addie O'Grady in the post to go up against a really good center – um, so that's a matchup that, you know, I think it kind of gets hidden because of that Virginia Tech, you know, game early. Um, but Kansas State-Iowa is going to be a really good game. And Iowa's going to be looking to avenge that loss last year from last year. Yeah. Yeah, anything else then that sticks out to you in the non-conference schedule? I think those are the two games that stuck out to, to Jeff and I, other than, of course, the the three Iowa games that we mentioned. Um, but yeah, very early for those two games to come right back-to-back within a week of each other and then followed up by Drake. But any other non-conference games we should think about for Iowa? Yeah, they do play in the, the Gulf Coast Showcase down in uh, Florida. Uh, their opening matchups against Purdue-Fort Wayne should be a pretty comfortable win in the opening round. Um, but after that, it could get interesting. You know, they, they could get Florida Gulf Coast in that second round, a team that went 31-4 and four last year, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, based on my early looks, you know, Florida Gulf Coast is, you know, under some some changes, you know, they, I think they lost most of their starting lineup. But they brought in something like five or six transfers. And all of them did a pretty solid job at their, their previous schools. So it'll be interesting to see how they gel early in the year. Um, but, you know, if they gel pretty well, that's going to be a pretty good Florida Gulf Coast team. Florida Gulf Coast is generally a pretty good team. Uh, I think they've won their first round game the last two years in the NCAA tournament. Um, and then, you know, if Iowa can can get to the to the championship of that, uh, North Carolina's on the other side of that bracket. Kansas State, who Iowa already plays, is also in that, that tournament on the other side of the bracket. Um, you know, I think Western Kentucky and Vermont are the other two. Vermont made the NCAA tournament last year. Western Kentucky was in the WNIT. Um, so nothing, you know, no top 10 teams in there, but North Carolina is going to be a really good team. Uh, and obviously Kansas State we already mentioned. So if Iowa comes out of there, if they were to win that tournament, they're going to get, you know, a couple of good wins in there. Um, and then not necessarily a high-profile game. Uh, they get Cleveland State in a men's-women's doubleheader at the Wells Fargo Arena in Des Moines, um, which is kind of, you know, a fun event. Neither team, you know, men's team's playing Florida and m Iowa's playing Cleveland State, who had a really good year last year. Um, they bring back the, the Horizon League player of the year, Destiny Leo. Um, so, you know, two really good scores in that game with Caitlin Clark and Destiny Leo. 
Um, but I just wanted to mention that cool event that they're doing the men's women's double header over there at Wells Fargo Arena in Des Moines. But that yep. that is really what rounds out is you know the biggest games on their non-con schedule. Yeah, Florida Gulf Coast is sneaky, and because they and they've been kind of and sneaky under the radar, I should say, because yeah. they that's been a pretty solid program for several years now. And, and and so Kyle, I just want to throw this kind of as a you know open ended for you. Just kind of give us your thoughts about Iowa's Big Ten schedule. I mean, um, they get double plays with Ohio State and Indiana, and then a single play against Maryland. But obviously, those two games against Ohio State may end up being very big. And, and with IU as well. But just give us your overall thoughts about the, how the Big Ten schedule broke down for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, I mean, I think the Big Ten's a really good conference, so it's it's hard to get out of the draw with, you know, saying, oh, we got an easy draw, something like that. Um, Ohio State's a really good team, obviously. Indiana's a really good team, both home and away for those. Uh, the single play against Maryland, I believe that's at Maryland. Um, that's why I have. Yes, yeah, at Maryland. Too. At, at Maryland, I, Iowa historically is not good at Maryland. They lost by like 30 last year at Maryland. Um, so that's going to be a tough game as well. Uh, I mean, you even talked about, you know, playing Nebraska home and away. Nebraska's going to be probably a pretty good team as well. I mean, if they can they can get to that level that, you know, we felt like they could have been last year, they're a team that could be in the top 25 as well. You know, Illinois, Shauna Green's doing a good job at Illinois. Iowa gets them at home for one. Um I mean, it's hard for me to say whether they got a good or a bad draw just because, you know, the Big Ten's so good. It's hard to hard to say, you know, could it have been any harder or any easier? Um, you know, they get Michigan at home. I don't really I'm not really sure what the, what they're going to get from Michigan this year. Um, but but I think, you know, the big thing is down the stretch, they're going to get a couple of matchups that, that will help, you know, determine the Big Ten. You know, they get Ohio State to the final game of the season at home. Um, a couple of games for that. They've got Illinois at home. They've got Indiana away uh late in february as well mm-hmm. um they get at nebraska in the middle of february um so there's big games coming down the stretch and that's kind of been the way the schedule's worked out for Iowa the last couple of years where some of those big games are coming down the stretch you know uh two years ago they got michigan in the final game of the season to, to determine the regular season winner uh last year indiana had it locked up but you know it can't i we got the win at, at home um you know that could have been that could have ended up being the same thing for the regular season title yeah. as well um, so it's been kind of important, you know, you don't necessarily want a really backloaded schedule that makes things hard, but you, you don't mind that big game late in the year, a big, couple of big games, because, you know, you can go into that last half and go, okay, hey, if we can take care of business here, we can win it. And you, you love that where it comes down to, hey, if we win this game, we can get it and not have to worry about, you know, we're playing Minnesota, what happens over here with Indiana or Ohio State. Um, so I, I think it's nice to have a couple of those big games late in the year. Yeah, I'm I'm quite sure the Big Ten uh, set up the schedules like this because they it was very clear going into last year, Indiana and Iowa were probably favored. And now going into it this year, it's Iowa and Ohio State. And just magically, they have the last game of the year again. So um, not not surprised. Uh, Jeff, what do you think? Should we move on to Ohio State? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you want me to just jump in and give a, yep. a quick overview about them? Yep. All right. So for Ohio State, um, they are preseason in the conference ranks uh, expected to finish second from the coaches, third from the media from ESPN. They are actually on their way too early top uh, 25 ranked number four in their preseason. So actually ahead of Iowa. Um, last year, they were the Big Ten tournament runner-up to Iowa. Um, the interesting thing for me, I think, is the depth for Ohio State. Everyone who started a game last year, who it was quite significant with some of the injuries they had, everyone is back except for Taylor Mikesell. And if you look at the experience of their team, 
eight of their players are either seniors, fifth year seniors or grad students. And so to me, I think that's the the headline for, for Ohio State for me. But Kyle, what are your, your thoughts initially on Ohio State and what they have coming back? Yeah, I mean, I think Ohio State is going to be a really good team, really tough team. Um, I mean, I would not argue with you if you, you said I if someone said, you know, I think Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten, just because of some of those questions that we talked about with Iowa. Uh, I, obviously, like I said, I think Iowa can can win the Big Ten title. That I think they can be at that level. Um, but when you talk about like those things you just mentioned, eight seniors or grad students, you know, everyone that started a game is back except Taylor Mike. So those are the things that you look for in the preseason in terms of picking a conference winner. Um, it doesn't necessarily work out, but it's it's not very common when you're picking a team that has a bunch of questions for the season to win a conference. Um, so I wouldn't fault anyone for picking an Ohio State or even an in Indiana to win the Big Ten over Iowa. Um, Iowa actually fared really well against Ohio State last year. So kind of surprisingly, not necessarily surprising that Iowa won them, but, but that they handled them so well. They played that game at Ohio State without McKenna Warnock and, and ended Ohio State's undefeated run to start the year. Um, and then just absolutely blasted them in the Big Ten title game uh, in Minneapolis. So I was, I was a little surprised that those games weren't, you know, closely contested right down to the wire. Um, but I think they will be this year um, with what Ohio State brings back. Uh, I, I think they're a really talented team. Taylor Mikesell is a really good player. Um, but, yeah, they bring back a lot of really good talent. Yeah, I, yeah. I will Go ahead, Kathy. Go ahead. I, I just wanted to follow up for our listeners in case they didn't realize that often we we hear about, you know, oh, they lost one or two starters. They lost one. And we keep talking about the returning starters. They had eight different players start at least one game last year. In fact, um, the the least number was Madison Green, and that was seven. I think that was a lot because of some injuries. They kind of got hit by the, the injury bug a lot in that middle of the Big Ten conference schedule last year. So just to add that context for for our listeners, maybe if they didn't realize how many starters they had. So of the eight, seven are coming back. Yeah. Well, okay. and I'll right. be one of those that on paper, I think yeah. Ohio State is the team to beat on paper, but they got to prove they can stay healthy. That's been the one problem they've had the last couple of years is they've had been hit by the injury bug. So again, they got to be able to stay a little healthy. And I realize there's some luck in that as well. But and Kyle, I want to kind of throw it to you because to, to me, even though Iowa blasted them up in Minneapolis, the Big Ten title game, uh, I thought the return of J.C. Sheldon was the big difference in that Ohio State team last year when she was able to get back on the floor, and that's when they got hot and made the run, um, even in the NCAA tournament. But also, I'm intrigued by Madison Green. If she can stay healthy, that she's an all-Big Ten caliber-type point guard that you throw her in there with J.C. Sheldon and Cody McMahon and, and some of their other returns. I, it just maybe give me your thoughts about, like I said, J.C. Sheldon and Madison Green especially. Yeah, I think J.C. Sheldon, you know, having her back on this team is really important. I know she missed, you know, well, I don't know how many games she missed last year before she was back. Um, About two-thirds of the season. Yeah. So, yeah. she, I mean, she's a huge player on that team, and it was kind of surprising to see them still be able to cobble it together, you know, er, especially early in the year. To get off to that undefeated start without her uh, was impressive. Um, to have her back, she's a really good player. Um I mean, the, one of the leaders of that team. And then Madison Green, as you mentioned, you know, another player that's dealt with injuries. And, and it's, I mean, Ohio State's been a really good mm -hmm. team, even with those injuries. So just to see if they can stay healthy, like you said, you know, Madison Green or, or J.C. Sheldon or anyone else on that team, if they can stay healthy, man, they, they like you said, they've got a lot of players that have started games. Um, so they've got a lot of experience. Even if they're coming off the bench, it's going to be players that know how to play in a game. They've played, you know, a lot of minutes in games. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I think the big thing is, like, like it's, you have down on here, and you missed most of the last two years for Madison Green. Um, 
that's a that's a person that can surprise some teams this year. I mean, a lot not, a lot of teams haven't really seen her that much the last couple of years. Um, so early in the year, she could be someone that could surprise some people with how she can play. You know, build some confidence for her if she can if she can have some good games early. Um, the player that we haven't mentioned yet that I think is you know, I mean, I don't even know what to say about it. Cody McMahon was yeah. was fantastic yeah. last year, freshman player of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned what Hannah Stolke was able to do as a freshman for Iowa last year. I talked about the athleticism that she has. I think Cody McMahon came in and, and did a lot of the things that, that Hannah did, but just better. You know, she was more polished, um, came in. And you you watched Cody McMahon play, and you were like, this player, should, she's been in the Big Ten a couple of years, right? Right. Um, so she didn't she's look like gonna, a freshman. Oh, yeah, no way. I mean, I think she's kind of yeah. – she could be the best player on this team this year, I think. I mean, obviously, J.C. Sheldon's kind of that leader of the team, but I think, you know, what Cody McMahon was able to do last year. Oh, I agree. Scoring 15 points a game as yeah. a freshman is, is impressive. And to do what she did – you know, game in and game out, um, she's going to be an all-Big Ten player this year, easily. I just want to follow. I, the reason yeah. I bring up J.C. Sheldon especially is just, I, to me, I, I'm not the biggest fan of the word glue, the glue person, but I know where it comes from having been a former coach. But she, to me, is like that heart and soul and uh, of that Ohio State team. And I, I agree totally with you about Cody McMahon. But just, to me, that's the, there's just something that J.C. Sheldon brings to him that just kind of brings a calmness or whatever to that team. Yeah. yeah, I think it's – I mean, I think it's kind of similar to what you say with a, uh, a Kate Martin. Obviously, J.C. Sheldon's, you know, a higher volume scorer than a Kate Martin. But the, mm-hmm. those things that you can't really teach, the on-the-court leadership, like you said, bringing a calmness to the to the court. I think J.C. Sheldon and Kate Martin are kind of similar in that regard. Um, and when you lose something like that for, for an extended period of time, it's hard to overcome that, uh, which is like I said, I was kind of – I mean, it, it speaks to the talent that Ohio State has on their team to get off to the start that they did last year um, with her uh, not on the floor. Yeah, I, I would say for me, Cody McMahon for sure is the the player to watch. I, I would tune into Ohio State games, I think, to watch just her play. She by far, I think, was exciting. You know, if, just to remind our listeners again, she was freshman of the year last year, if you've forgotten somehow. Um, she averaged 15 points per game. And to your point, Kyle, she did not look like a freshman. Um, and she looked like she just belonged. So if she has any kind of a, a sophomore leap like we see often from freshmen, she's going to be um, just an absolute nightmare, I think, for other teams to figure out how to guard her. Um, The other person that I'm actually intrigued on is not a a person coming back from Ohio State last year, but is actually coming in from Duke, which is Celeste Taylor. So she's transferring in from Duke. She's a 5'11 guard. Um, She, you know, was a thousand point scorer um, in her career at Duke. She averaged 11 points per game. But honestly, I'm not quite sure if they're bringing her in per se for scoring because I think they have scoring in so many other facets. To me, what's intriguing is she was Defensive Player of the Year for the for the ACC, and you know we we know so much about um, you know watching Ohio State, experiencing it, and um, sort of some of our Indiana games for sure. That press that Ohio State can put on you and how they can turn teams over, I, I wonder how she's going to fit in with that. And so I'm really intrigued to see how they they fit her into their lineup because they're like we mentioned, very deep. And so I, I'm sure she's not coming there expecting to sit on the bench. So do you know anything about Celeste or any thoughts on where she might fit into the, that Ohio State lineup? I think that's the addition to – I mean, obviously, like we mentioned, they have a lot of really good players back. I think the the addition of Celeste Taylor is what could bring them over the top to be a team um, that could make a run to the Elite Eight Final Four type thing um, because of how good their, you know, their press is, forcing turnovers. I mean, they're up – near the top of the, the the country in turnovers forced last year. And to add in the ACC Defensive Player of the Year to make it even better, 
Um, I mean, it's going to be hard to, to, to score against the not necessarily to score, but to, to get the ball up the floor against the press like that and then execute a good offense against them. It's going to be yeah. tough. Um, Celeste Taylor, I, I watched her against Colorado last year because uh, that was the matchup. Duke Colorado was the matchup that was going to um, figure out the Iowa Sweet 16 matchup. So I did, I did watch that game and Celeste Taylor had, I don't even remember how many steals it was, something like seven, eight steals in that game. Um, you could just see on the floor her defensive presence to, to force turnovers to to mess up offensive sets. Um, and like you said, I, I don't think her addition is to come in and score 15 points a game for Ohio State. I mean, if she scores 15 points a game, they might average 90 a game. Um, right. But, but she's going to be a really good defensive player for them. And where she kind of fits into that lineup, it's a little weird because you talk about all the players that they return that started. I mean, you could make a starting lineup with the players that they return and have a really good team. Um, yep. So I'll be interested to see how they kind of do that early in the year. How much, how many minutes does she play? Is there someone that, that we feel like should be starting that, that doesn't necessarily get the minutes that we would expect? Um, another player that I did want to mention that we haven't yet um, that is back for Ohio State is Rebecca Mikolashikova. Uh, they're mm-hmm. forward, uh, a really tough center that, you know, can play inside. She can also make three pointers mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, kind of an interesting, unique uh, center. Uh, kind of similar to, to Nebraska's Ford is it, uh, Alexis Markowski, kind of the mm-hmm. kind of not your, your prototypical centers for the Big Ten. I mean, it, you generally think of like a, a Monica Sonata or a Mackenzie Holmes or um, the, the name and blanking on the girl from Michigan from a couple of years ago. Those are uh, what you think of your normal. Uh, normal. Yeah, Nas Hillman. Yeah. Nas yeah, Hillman. yeah, those are what you think of as your prototypical Big Ten centers. And Mikhail Oshikova is kind of different in the term that she can do that. She can get down in the post and score, rebound, but she can also shoot from the three-point line. Um, so she's kind of a matchup, you know, a different matchup for some Big Ten teams. That I think, that I think is kind of unique for them, and maybe maybe Nebraska is the other one that has that unique uh, matchup. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Celeste Taylor is a huge addition. I think having the players that they have back are really good. I think this is a team that could that could make a run in March. Yeah, it makes me wonder if Co- makes me wonder if Coach McGuff brought her in. Almost, you know, I know they're going to press. We know how they're going to play for the most part. But also, it, just to, to be a half court defender against some of the better guards in the league, like a Caitlin Clark, a Sydney Parrish, you know, so, you know, to mm-hmm. maybe be a kind of a lockdown defender um, with that makes me wonder about that. Because I totally agree that she doesn't have to come in and score 50 points a game. She just no, needs to be the defender. They just, need, they just need her to be an all league defender, you know. And, and yep. by the way, Taylor, Taylor Terry, who we haven't even mentioned, averaged 13 and a half and was, a, and was on the all defensive team for the Big Ten last year. So, I mean, yep. there, there, there's just like on paper, I agree with you totally, Kyle. This is why we play the games in February and March. But on paper, this, this is just a lineup that is capable of just, like you said, a deep run scoring a lot of points because their defense can turn you over in a hurry. They did tie you in the big 10 semi last year where they just, once they got it rolling, it, you couldn't, you couldn't stop. You know, it was like, it became infectious. You just kept turning it over, turning it over. So on paper, this team is flat out in my opinion, loaded, but we'll wait and see what actually happens on the floor. Yeah. And to, to both of, you know, all of our points, you know, Ohio state as a team last year on average turned their opponents over 20, 20 times a game. So if they, they come back and they have that kind of elite um, defense and turnover margin again, it's like a six and a half at seven, almost a seven turnover margin and they're averaging 80 points per game. Yeah. They're, I think they're going to be real handful again. I think the biggest question, like we've already said for, for them is can they stay healthy? Because in the last few years, they really haven't shown that they've been able to keep those star players on the floor and keep that core unit and, and people consistently together. So 
that to me is the is the biggest question. I don't think we're questioning what they're getting back. It's whether they can get those people back and stay healthy and consistent, so at least on for me. So I, I we went on record, I think both of us last last week on Wednesday during our show that uh, and I still stick by that. I, I still feel Ohio State is actually the team to beat this year um, with Iowa and Indiana right there knocking at the door. So kind of, I know you probably haven't done as big, I hope maybe you did a little since we uh, talked about it and getting you onto the show, but just real quick, non-conference, the big marquee matchups. Now I think I had this twisted around. I think you were right. Uh, Ohio state will play USC. I believe that game is in Vegas. I think that's the other part of that game out in Vegas with LSU um, out there, but, but I know that's a neutral site game for them and USC who's preseason number 18 in the ESPN poll. Uh, they get Tennessee on the road in Knoxville. They destroyed Tennessee last year in 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 Columbus, yeah. especially with the in the press. second half. In the second half. <laughs> in the right. second and half, which was all Texas, they needed. Yeah, Tennessee's number nine, and that, the one that really intrigues me here a little bit. I don't know if you've seen much of, but they're going to be a conference team by next year. They they <laughs> they have use and a in the ESPN way too early. The number three UCLA in Columbus. Just that that's to me going to be. I think that's a real. But if, yeah. at least in the early, if both are going to be now. top 10, if not top five, when they probably play early in the season. What do you think of that matchup? Yeah, I think those three are all pretty interesting. I think USC and kind of USC and UCLA are two teams that, I mean, I haven't done a lot of research on. They're teams that I obviously they're ranked in the ESPN way too early. They're just teams that I'm interested in early in the year. Are they what are they up to the level that, that we think they are just in terms mm-hmm. of preseason ranking? So USC will be right away, we're going to learn, you know, USC and Ohio State, you know, how how good are those two teams, similar to an Iowa-Virginia Tech matchup. Um, the Tennessee one, uh, Tennessee really picked it up, you know, in the second half later in the year last year. Uh, I think they're going to be a good team this year. And to play it on the road, Tennessee's a tough place to play. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they got them at, at home last year. So that would be a really good matchup. And like you said, the one with UCLA, we'll know by that time. By the time we get to that December 18th game, we're going to know how good UCLA is. So, um, you know, yeah. that'd be fantastic if UCLA is up to that level of being a you know a top five team, because I think Ohio State will be that level of a top five, top eight team. And that'll be a really big matchup at that point. Um, but that could be one that, you know, that could be a potentially an elite eight final four matchup, you know, oh, if point. those two teams can play to the level that, you know, the preseason is saying they could. Yeah. The interesting thing for me with that is, yes, to your point, Jeff, two of those non-conference games are going to be conference games next year with, <laughs> with USC, right? <laughs> so non-conference this year, and I guess they're just well, giving us a I, preview of conference next year. But yeah, it, that USC game is their first regular season game, November 6th, right out of the gate. They don't, I, I mean, at least on their website, maybe they have some exhibitions or maybe they just have some, you know, closed door practice games or something. But on their schedule, that's what they're listing is, is USC being their very first game. So, you know, yeah. And then the rest of November, they kind of, it's a little easier road, I think, than what both Iowa and Indiana have, but then you have Tennessee and in December and um, UCLA, like we mentioned. So a little different setup for their non-conference than what we at least see from Iowa. So um, at least in terms of timing, so spread out a little bit more getting that on December 18th, right before Christmas break. So any other thoughts, Kyle, just in general on Ohio State? Yeah, just kind of looking at their Big Ten schedule. You know, I mean, yeah. it's different than Iowa, obviously. Um, but to me, I look at it, and I don't really feel like there's a huge difference. Um, they, they play Maryland twice, which is different than Iowa. Iowa gets them once. They do play Purdue a couple of times. Kind of interested to see what Purdue do, does off mm-hmm. making the NCAA tournament last year. Um, you know, they get Nebraska at home, uh, Michigan home. They have to play at Iowa um, late in the year. Um, so I'm just kind of interested to see, 
you know, how those games got us against some really good Big Ten teams. But I don't, you know, looking at it, I don't feel like Ohio State has anything way easier. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's like I said, that's just how the Big Ten is. Um, their last seven, they do get, you know, their last seven games, you know, they do get Nebraska, Maryland, and Iowa. They also have a high or Michigan in there. Um, but they get three of those four at home. So maybe down the stretch, maybe, you know, having some of those bigger games at home before that last game at Iowa plays a little bit in their favor. Um, but I, I don't, you know, it's really hard to, to go through teams now or big 10 schedules and really feel like that anyone has a huge advantage with, with the, the number of teams that are going to be good this year. Yeah. And so Kyle, I, I want to kind of throw this to you for, and Kathy, I want your opinion too. I'll kind of throw it around here since I'm acting as the host tonight. Kyle, for, for Iowa to make that run, maybe not even to the final four, because we know there's still some luck sometimes involved in getting to actual final four, but they are going to be in that, that they should be at least, but for them to get back to the elite eight and possibly get to the final four, what, what do you think are keys for them? What, is there any one thing that you think has to go well for the Hawkeyes in that, this coming season? Yeah, I think there's probably two things. I think the two things, the first thing would be that Hannah Stolke has to make a big jump um, from a freshman to sophomore year, which I feel like all indications are that she will. Um, but it, I mean, if she can be a good, a good score, a solid score, a solid rebounder, like I said, stay out of foul trouble and improve the, the the free throw shooting. I think she can be a really good player on this team. So I think she she could potentially be one of those really key players that you talk about that, you know, depending on how far Iowa goes, it might depend on, you know, the jump that she makes. Um, and then I, I think, you know, you could, you could probably mix it between what do you get from the guards off the bench? Because I think the question the last few years has been, you know, when Caitlin Clark comes off the floor, the scoring slows down a little bit. But if you can get, you know, a Molly Davis or – or, you know, a Taylor McCabe to come in at times, or Sydney Fulter, if they can be players that can come in and, and be at least a threat to score, Iowa will not have a huge drop-off when Caitlin comes off the floor for those, floor for those short times. And then, obviously, the Adio gradient, like I said, just, as long as she does not try to be Monica Sanon, she is herself. Like I said, she doesn't have to fill that role. Um, but, you know, as long as she's able to do a respectable job, a reasonable job, um, then I think Iowa has a shot to do those, those things, whether it's contend for a Big Ten title, um, contend for you know a Big Ten tournament title, and contend to make the Elite Eight and Final Four again. Um, we'll find out soon enough. We're going to get a couple of exhibition games, and so the season will be starting. We'll be able to talk about um, you know once we get to see them play. But I think those are probably the three biggest things. Um, but I think the, that biggest thing is you know what jump does Hannah Stolke make? Can she be uh, you know a double digit score for this team? And I think if she does, that's going to help a lot. Yeah. Kathy, so what do you think we, about the Hawkeyes? Oh, yeah. So I same. I so if you compare, you know, we're talking about Iowa and Ohio State and comparing the two, I, I think the biggest thing for me is again, um, what I mentioned earlier, Ohio State, pretty known commodity and what they're getting back and adding an interesting piece with um with uh, Celeste from Duke. Um it's just to me that's a big question is can you get a freshman to really take that leap to as a sophomore with Hannah Stulke? And Often we see it, but often we don't. And and so that to me is the biggest wild car, card for Iowa, in my opinion, is how much of that sophomore leap is she going to take? And, um, you know, and to your point with Addison O'Grady, you know, she did play some last year and she was coming on towards the end of the year. Does, you know, does she continue that momentum into this year? To me, those are probably the two big wild cards for Iowa and the biggest questions that need to be answered. We know Caitlin Clark's going to do Caitlin Clark things, so I'm not <laughs> not con- I don't know. I'm going to say the words. I'm not concerned about her, but she's going to do her. She's going to do her thing. So um, I, I think to me, there's just bigger questions for Iowa. And that's why, you know, again, on paper, I, I picked Ohio State right now over them. 
Um, and, you know, and, and similar to Indiana, I know we're not talking about our deep dive in Indiana tonight, but, you know, there are big questions around who's going to fill the Graceburg or shoe, but we, we have, you know, some good freshmen coming in. We have the same kind of expectation for our freshmen from last year, uh, at least a couple of them taking a good sophomore leap, especially with Yarden Garzon and, you know, her stepping up and having that sophomore leap. So we have similar questions, I think, as, as Iowa do, does. So to me, that's the intriguing um, question for Iowa in particular, but um, so Jeff and I have made our predictions right now. Um, Kyle, if we put you um, pen to paper today, who would you probably put in your top uh, rank, your top three for your um, conference finish? Oh, I don't know about conference finish. I, <laughs> I, I think if I had to do it on, like you said, on paper. At least I didn't have you ranked all of them. Just three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, I think you have to go. Like I said, it's not very common that you rank a team that has a lot of questions or, or questions at all in that spot. You usually go with, like I said, the team that has a lot returning that brought in that big transfer. And to me, that's Ohio State. Um, so that's who I would have going into the season. I would have Ohio State at one in the Big Ten. Um, and then Indiana and I would be two, three. I, I think you can make an argument for both. Um, you could even make an argument that Iowa should be three going into the season. Um, just because there are a couple of questions, obviously, like you mentioned, the, the Grace Burr question. To me, I would put Iowa too, just because they do have Caitlin Clark, um, the, the national player of the year, and Indiana at three. But those three, I feel like any one of those three could could win the Big Ten title. And a team that we haven't mentioned is Maryland. Um, would probably put them at yeah. four um, because there's probably more questions with Maryland than with any of those other three. I agree. I I, I would say, as I said earlier, I, I was already on the record of saying Ohio State is would be the team I'd pick. But if, if we get to March third. I don't think any of us would be surprised what the order is, but I think it's going to be those three. Yeah, but it could, you know, I I just think it's those three. And then Maryland's capable. I agree with Kyle. I had Maryland as four. Then that fifth Mm -hmm. spot's really kind of the one that we didn't dive into, but man, is it Illinois? Is it Purdue? Could it be Nebraska? Nebraska? You brought it, you you brought up a good, great point about Nebraska. I think it would, I think you would probably say it should be Nebraska. Um, Last year we thought it should be Nebraska as well, and it wasn't. Um, so I think it should be Nebraska, but I could also see it being Illinois. Purdue would probably be the one that I'd put as the, the most unlikely. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think it should be Nebraska. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we wrap this up, Kyle, you got any last thoughts you want to share with the doing the work? I don't, I don't have any. I think we did a really good job breaking down two really good teams. I I think we, we got a lot of information out there. Um, I don't have anything to add. I think we did a good job. Thanks. I yeah. appreciate that because we, we appreciate you coming on with us. So, um, yeah. So let's kind of wrap this up, Kathy. All right. Up next, uh, our next episode of Doing the Work will be next Wednesday, October the 18th, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 Central, or as we used to say in the 60s and 70s, same bat time, same bat channel. Um, (laughs) We will continue previewing in depth the expected top teams in the Big Ten. Up next week, we're going to talk about Maryland and Illinois. Assembly Call Radio will be on tomorrow night with their normal weekly show. If you want to see us do the show live and be a part of the live chat, make sure that you subscribe excuse me, to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assembly call. You can also be part of our private community as well. Find out more at assemblycall.com slash community. Special thanks to John Ringer of Rig Design for designing our logos. Also a big thank you to Bob Thompson for our music that you've heard throughout the broadcast. 
And thank all of you for listening. Also, again, want to thank Kyle Huseman of Hawkeye Report for agreeing to join us tonight and being here. And hopefully, Kyle, we can get you on one more time, at least this 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 season. Maybe we can figure out a way to get you in maybe over Christmas break or something like that and kind of preview a little bit of where we, you know, into the Big Ten before it actually gets full bore or something. Or maybe we figure out a way to have you on after a post-game, you know, like a post-game show with the IU-Iowa game, something along those lines. But we really appreciate Kyle Huseman of Hawkeye Report for joining us. Uh, again, if you want to be in the YouTube broadcast, we, you can join the Workaholics here and, and, and make comments and be in the live discussion there. And, again, we'll be with you next week. So keep until then, keep your elbow in, your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. And before I actually um, I play our outro music for us, I had one other thing I wanted to shout out um, on our back home network. So the Crimson Cast folks, oh. um, they are recording uh, their 1000th episode this week. I believe that will be coming out tomorrow, if I remember correctly what I heard. So I just want to say a huge congratulations yep. over to, to Galen. Um, also coming back on Crimson Cast this year, um, we will have uh, their women's uh, podcast over there covering Indiana Women's Bass podcast. So Amanda's coming back um to give a little bit different take for our of our all, all of our listeners so that's just more back home network fun but uh, again just huge congratulations coming out for for galen and scott on their 1000 episode coming up so with that i will officially send us out Kyle, thanks a bunch. You were great tonight. Yeah, yeah thank thanks, you for having Kyle. me on. We will have to find another time to uh, try to do that during the season. Yeah, we'd yeah, love to get I you on during idea. the season. It's nice to have, you know, Kathy and I work nice together, but it's just it's it's just interesting when you get that third person in to bring that dynamic. So, yeah, sure. just let me know when you want to do it, and I'll see if I can fit it in. I appreciate yeah. that, Kyle. We'll let you go because I kept you a little bit longer than I told you. So, <laughs> yes, hope you don't hold that against us. <laughs> all right. No, that's all right. Thank <laughs> you, guys. Thanks, everyone. See you. Take care. Night. Hey, everybody. We'll talk next week.